0: So my name is Kylie, for those of you who haven't met me, um, I'm part of the team here at One Heart Church and it's my honour to um, preach to you this morning. What we're going to do this morning is look a little bit at the life of Paul in the New Testament. So Paul was initially against the church, the very early church, he persecuted them, dragged them from their homes as they prayed and uh, then he had an encounter with Jesus and his whole life turned around. And he spent the rest of his days just pouring out his life to tell people about Jesus. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 11, he said, Follow me as I follow Christ. Imitate me as I imitate Jesus. Well, there's a call for all of us to be able to say that about our own lives, isn't it? As we try and disciple others. And so this morning I want to look at just a tiny slither, sliver, sliver, sliver Slither tiny little bit of Paul's life um, and see how he followed Jesus, that we'd be able to imitate and do the same. So what I'm going to do is read uh, from the Bible, the book of Acts chapter 27, which is massively exciting. I encourage you to go home and read the first part that I'm going to skip over. We're just going to start at verse 13. Uh, when the storm hits. So what's happened up to this point in Paul's life is he's been um, travelling, he's been on three big missionary journeys around the whole world as they knew it at the time, Um, and he uh, has come back from his third journey and where he is, a riot breaks out as it kind of happens around Paul, and then they put him in prison under the governor Felix And Felix is known historically to just want to take bribes. Paul doesn't give him a bribe, so he languishes in this imprisonment. After almost three years, Paul finally claims his Roman right to have an audience with Caesar. So at this point, he's just been put onto a boat uh, to sail around to Italy and eventually go see Caesar in Rome. So he's technically a prisoner, but he's under the Roman guard of this guy Julius, who's really nice to him and treats him as a nice Roman citizen. But they have been going uh, late in the season. It's autumn in the year 60 AD, and they're kind of late if we've got any fishermen in the year. You know how important that season is. He's heading towards wintertime, and they get caught up by the winds, and they go to this port and that port and that port, and and uh, they're not having... A good journey so far. But the port where they are now, they should stay there for the next three months and winter it out and then start again in the next season. But the sailors don't like the port where they are now. I guess it's like boring. They're like, we're not staying here for the whole winter. We can make one more mad dash to the next port around and that'll be a good place uh, to have our winter. So let's read together Acts chapter 27. uh, verse 13 on, and I'm reading from the NIV. I should have prepared this better and had like the smoke machine going and like blue flashing lights and stuff. Peter, if you can get it going midway, then do it. Can everyone just give Pete a good thumbs up there? (laughs) Awesome work. So... A gentle, when they saw a gentle wind began to blow, these are the sailors, they saw their opportunity, that's to make it to the next port. So they weighed anchor and they sailed along the shore of Crete. But before very long, a hurricane wind force called the nor'easter swept down from the island and the ship was caught by the storm and it could not make headway in the wind so we had to give way to it and we were being driven along. As we passed to the lee of a small island called Calder, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure, so the men hoisted it aboard, and then they passed ropes under the ship itself to hold hold it together. Because they were afraid that they would run aground on the sandbars of Sirtis, they lowered the sea's anchor and just let the ship be driven along. We took such a violent battering, this is written by a guy called Luke, and he was on the journey with Paul, possibly regretting it at this point. Why did I go with Paul? Luke is a doctor. He's a science man through and through. And if you read the whole chapter, you can hear him totally geeking about, about the weather and all the names of the ports. I think he spent his time asking the sailors, and what's this wind called? And what about that wind? And what, when, what direction is it now? And where are we? He's just totally geeking out about it the whole time. We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day, the sailors began to chuck the cargo overboard. They're on a big ship at the moment, a grain ship, which is from Egypt going over to Italy. There's 276 people on board and there's like the Roman soldiers and there's grain merchants and there's the prisoners and there's a bunch of other people just along for the ride and they're throwing the grain overboard now. Things are getting desperate. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. And when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, that's how they'd navigate, and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. After a long time more without food, Paul stood up before the people and he said, This is hilarious. He said, men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete and then you would have spared yourself, bit of a nodal. you could have spared yourself this damage and this loss. But I urge you now to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and he said, don't be afraid, Paul. You will stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we will run aground on some island. Can I have the slides up? On the 14th day, so now it's two weeks later. Two weeks later, we were still being driven along the Adriatic Sea, and about midnight, the sailors sensed that they are approaching land. They took soundings, and they found that the water was 120 feet deep. A short time later, they took soundings and found it was only 90 feet deep. Fearing that we'd be dashed against the rocks, they dropped all four anchors from the stern, which is the back, yep, and prayed for daylight. In an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors let down, they're being sneaky, they let down the life ship, pretending they were going to anchor, lower the anchors from the bow, but actually they were going to get in the life ship and then take off. Paul saw this and he said to the centurion, unless those men stay with the ship, we cannot be saved. So the soldiers cut the rope that held the lifeboat and let it drift away. What an amazing picture that is. The sailors are like, yeah, yeah, we're just putting the anchors out. And they're about to jump in and then the soldiers come along and cut it all free and they just watch as the lifeboat sails away <laughs> into, the, into the mess of the noise of the water and the storm. Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, you've been in constant anxiety and suspense. You've gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. And now I urge you, take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from your head. And after he said this, he took some bread. He gave thanks to God in front of them. He broke it and he began to eat it. And they were all encouraged, and they ate the food themselves. Altogether, there was 276 of us on board. When they'd eaten as much as they wanted, they lightened the ship again by throwing the rest of the grain away. And when daylight came, they did not recognise the land, but they found a bay with a sandy beach, and they decided to run the ship aground if they could. So we cut loose the anchors, we left them in the sea, And at the same time, untied the ropes that held the rudders. We hoisted the foresail and made for the beach. But then the ship struck a sandbar and the bow stuck fast and it couldn't move and the stern was broken to pieces in the pounding surf. And then the soldiers planned to kill all the prisoners to prevent them from escaping. Remember Paul's one of them. But the centurion Julius, he wanted to spare Paul's life and he kept them from carrying out their plan. So he ordered anyone who can swim, jump overboard, get to land and the rest just had to get on the planks and pieces of ship. And in this way, every single purpose person made it to land safely. Oh, that's exciting, isn't it? And then if you read the next chapter, geez, it just goes, oh, even, even worse things happen and Paul gets through There's four things, four key things that I really want to show you out of this situation. And they're this. First of all, Paul has a mature faith. Terrible things are happening to him. He does not blame God. Secondly, he says this big, every one of us will be saved. And then he says this little, nevertheless, we are going to go aground and the ship will break up. Just a little, like a lawyer putting in the fine print. Thirdly, Paul does not let the sailors go. They are the skilled professionals and he doesn't want them to leave. Get help when you need it. And fourthly, it's dark, things are dire, and Paul says this is the time to come together and eat together and be a Christian or be a community. And so what I want to do is just show you how I got those points out of these verses. If we could go back to the first verse, Luke. In the fir- in um, see so if you go back to the first verse, so the first part <laughs> Paul you should have taken my advice not sailed from Crete then you would have not had this happen Luke the doctor is blaming the wind he talks about this wind and that wind and this wind. Paul is blaming the men you should have listened to me but note what is conspicuously absent none of them are blaming God the Western culture that we all exist in is a blame God kind of culture. Even people, some people who are atheists say, oh, I don't believe there is a God. And when you ask them, they'll say, because he should have done this and he should have done that and he should have done this. Even believing there is no God, they're blaming God. But the early church did not have that issue. And churches in other countries do not have that issue. It is really a distinctly Western thing to do. And Paul tells us in Romans 12 too, Don't be conformed to the culture around you. So we need to have this perspective that the early church had, that Paul had here. There's a storm, that's because of the wind. There's a shipwreck, that's because of the sailors. There's the Romans torturing people, that's because there's sin and evil in the world. They were never surprised by any of those things. They already knew, yeah, There's bad stuff happening in the world. The world has rebelled against God. The wages of sin is death. Why would it surprise us if we see these things happening in the world? Peter says, don't be surprised by the fiery arrows that come against you. Don't let this be a surprise to you because the world is broken and our hearts are broken and we hurt each other. None of that's a surprise and none of it means that God doesn't love us. It means we need a saviour. That's why Jesus came. So let's get it out of vocabulary. Let's get it out of who we are that we blame God for things somehow. Blame the things that really are to cause. Jesus didn't come to save us from the wind. He came to save us from the sin and evil that is in the world, that causes injustice. Didn't Jesus tell us it would be like this? He said, in the world, one of his weirdest promises, in this world, you will have trouble. No one has that on their wall in their Pinterest account or anything. But that's a promise. In this world, there will be trouble. But then he said, but take heart, I've overcome the world. He means he's overcome the the forces behind those things that cause trouble in the world. But he did tell us, take up your cross daily. There's a really... um, prolific and famous preacher I think in the 1800s Charles Spurgeon and he said Jesus did not suffer to exclude your suffering he bears a cross not that so you can escape your cross but so you may endure it Christ exempts you from sin but not from sorrow remember this and expect to suffer and you're like geez Spurgeon Bit of a downer, but Spurgeon was a man who suffered a lot. He had pain in his body, he had illness in his body, he had severe bouts of depression that he battled all of his life. And he wasn't saying that any of that negated that God loves him or that God's for him or that God's working on his behalf. Just as Paul said, Yeah, there's a storm, yeah, we're going to be shipwrecked, but that doesn't change anything about God's promises being true. Spurgeon says that in the context of faith. He says, God didn't give us faith just to play with. Faith is a sword, but not a sword for wearing on presentation gullies. It is a sword that was meant to cut and wound and slay. And if you have it on him, you must expect between here and heaven that you will know what battle means. To whom God has given faith, listen to this, To whom God has given faith, it is as though one gives a lantern to his friend because he expects it's going to be dark on the way home. The very fact that we have faith in God is a hint that we're going to need it, that it's not going to be easy sailing. Paul was being shipwrecked, but the shipwreck and the storm does not shake Paul's faith, he doesn't say, oh, where is God? Or, oh, has God abandoned me? Or, oh, did I do something wrong? It doesn't shake his faith because his faith is not based in God keeping him safe and comfortable. His faith is based in God, being God. And God said he will do, uh, you know, cause all things to turn to good in the end. So can I just encourage you, if you're not at the end yet, if you're somewhere in the middle And you're saying, when is this stuff all going to be worked out? God is working and he will be God and he will make all things good and bad work for good for those who love him in the end. The second point, (laughs) I love this bit. I wondered at first when I read it, it's really quite easy to sort of read over it. Oh, you're going to all be saved, not a hair on your head will be hurt. Nevertheless, you are going to run aground. We are going to lose the ship. I wondered at first if he kind of said that like that, uh, but little caveat, there is going to be the ships going down. Because my husband was on a ship, you know, the Apollo, and, and that went, that was destroyed at the wharf a few years ago, and they were really sad about it for ages. I didn't really... Care or understand, but they were really sad about it. And when I read this, I thought, well, those sailors must have felt the same. Paul's standing there going, Your ship's going down. That's their family, that's their home, that's their career, that's their livelihood. And and they didn't say anything back. It doesn't say then they rioted back to him and they tried to kick him off. It didn't say anything. Then they all ate together. Somehow they accepted this. And then I realised, it's about perspective. And we know this perspective living in Port Lincoln. If you've ever been in a time when there's been a bushfire, you know, maybe you've been in that time, I know I have, when you've thought, oh, this is actually really dangerous now. I don't know what is going to happen now. If someone came to you at that point and said, here I am, I've come to save you, I promise we're getting your whole family out. And everyone in your street, we're getting them all out but we can't save the houses, the houses will be lost. You know what you'd say in that point. Oh, thank God that my family will be safe. Yeah, we pay insurance, though. we can get another house, not a big deal. Danger has a way of sharpening and clarifying our perspective, doesn't it, on what is important and what is not. These guys have been lost, they're late in the winter, they're weeks and weeks and weeks at sea, and their, their reaction to this news is, Thank God we're going to make it. We'll get another boat. (laughs) We'll build a bigger boat. Their perspective is honed by danger. But Paul always has this perspective of what is important because he has an eternal perspective. And we need to have that perspective as well and stop sweating the small stuff and know what is really important and what is not and not have to wait until a big dramatic shipwreck or a fire, to hone that for us. Our perspective as a church, Pastor Rob, our senior pastor, was talking about it last week, the most important thing when everything else is lost, the most important thing, the one thing that we're here for is that people who live a hopeless life will find hope in Jesus. Come on, am I alone here? That people who feel guilt and walk in a dark, heavy cloud of guilt will know forgiveness in Jesus that people who are confused and have no clarity and just have chaos in their life, that they'll know the peace that comes from being reconciled to God and Jesus. That's our one thing that counts. And so as a church, we just don't care whether the roof is painted black or painted white. We just don't care if we have these chairs or in a few years we get different chairs. We just don't care if we're doing it in this building or in a few years if we build another building and we move over there. We don't care. We could even change the type of biscuits that we have. We could even, stay with me, we could even change the coffee beans that we have we could come on church because the one thing that's all our nevertheless nevertheless whatever I don't care nevertheless about that stuff our one thing thank God that you brought more people into our church to know Jesus thank God that the lost are being saved thank God that people who live with no hope have found hope in Jesus thank God that families are being restored Thank God that people are finding truth and life and peace in their lives in Jesus. That they're not being deceived and thrown about in a storm. That they're finding the strong foundation in Jesus. And we don't care about anything. That's all our nevertheless. This is my new favourite line in the Bible. If you come to me in the next few years with a small problem, you're going to hear me say it to you. Nevertheless, that's gone. Nevertheless, it's too loud. Nevertheless, you don't like the music. Nevertheless, you're tired of hearing that same preacher. Who cares? Let's keep our eyes on the eternal perspective as Paul did. Our perspective is on our people coming to know Jesus. My third point. Paul says to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men, the sailors who are trying to do a naughty and escape, unless these men stay with the ship, then we're all going to die. Basically, is this a special prophecy? Had Paul been sitting there praying and God has told him this special prophetic thing? No, they're the sailors. They're in a storm. Paul has complete faith in God, but he knows in the middle of a storm, we need the sailors. He's like, I'm a tent maker. You're a Roman soldier from the land. The rest of the people sell grain. If the soldiers go, we're going, if the sailors go, we're going down. And this shows us that there are skilled professional people in the world and God has placed them for our benefit and it is not against faith to use them. If you are sick, you need a doctor. It's not a step against faith. If you need medicine, you need medicine. If you have marriage issues, then you need a marriage counsellor. If your finances are a mess, then you need a financial counsellor. If you're depressed, then you need a professional. And it's not a step against faith. It's just godly wisdom. God has placed us in this world for each other, to help each other. You see, Paul doesn't go, oh, let them go. I plead the blood of Jesus over us. The Holy Spirit will teach us how to sail. I'm quoting my lines. I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. He doesn't say that. He he snitches on them. He goes to the Roman and he's like, they're going. Quick, someone go get them. Make sure the sailors stay. If you need professional help, God has given us godly wisdom and common sense to access that those people are in our lives for our benefit and like Paul milk them dry don't let them escape even if they want to if you're building a house and the architect gets bored and the builders get bored and wander off just like to blackmail them to stay they have to stay until the job's finished if your counselor's not working then put the heavy word on them and make them stay and make them help you It's not a step against faith. It's the way that God set up the world, that we are all in this together to help each other. And we should do the same. Don't let the sailors go in the middle of a storm. Number four. Charlene, will you come and tinkle on the background for us? Number four. So this is in the dark. It said, before dawn. After Paul said this, he took some bread, he gave thanks to God in front of all of them, and he broke it and he began to eat And they were all encouraged and they ate some food themselves. Doesn't that sound like communion? As we've just shared all together. I want you to think about communion through the scriptures, through the history of God, God's people for a little bit. The first time that we see a shadow of communion is at the Passover. And when is that? That's at night time on a really dangerous night. It's the night before the whole nation of Israel are going to leave Egypt and they're individually in their own houses. It was a dangerous time. The whole nation is about to up and leave. And that night they shared that Passover meal together. And then centuries later, Jesus comes and he institutes the Last Supper and he says, actually, all of that was pointing to me. I'm the Passover and do this in memory of me. And when did he institute that? It was at night time. On another very dangerous night. After communion, he goes outside and he gets arrested. In the morning comes crucifixion on the cross. Paul here, weeks at sea, everyone gave up hope at least two weeks ago. They're hungry, they're exhausted, and not ever thinking they'll be able to be saved or you know, found at all and at night time Paul says now it's time we're going to eat this meal together see communion sharing our time together coming together as believers eating together praying together worshipping together is not just for the good times please if you ever feel this terrible dark thing is happening in my life but I just can't go to that church then I just got to tell you that's wrong whose voice do you think is saying that to you the time to come to church i mean listen to the words of jesus he says all the more you should be meeting together come together confess your sins to one another weep with those who weep rejoice with those who rejoice care for one another sing psalms to each other encourage one another with words from god that's the words of jesus to us Whose words do you really think it is that say, oh, you're wounded, you definitely should stay by yourself then. You're hurting, you're broken, these really hard things are, then you should definitely isolate yourself. It's not the voice of God, is it? They won't understand you, or you have to go just pretend that you're happy when you go. That's not the voice of God. When, I mean, the... The way that you get to be a member of this church, I see a lot of new people here today. If, if you're new, I'll give you the password, the secret handshake. The way you really fully become a member of this church, and indeed in each Christian church, is that you admit that you're a sinner. That's the entry key. You go, my name is Kylie. I'm a sinner. I failed. I tried to do life my own I totally stuffed it up. Every step of the way, it was a disaster. And I need a saviour. If you're new here today and you don't know what it's like to be a Christian and you look around this room and you think, oh, maybe they've got it all sorted out or they're all like holier than thou. That's the entry key. We're all a bunch of sinners. Hands up if you're a sinner and you know it. Clap your hand. All the Christians should have put their hands up for sure at that point. That's how we meet Jesus. That's why we call him our saviour, because we go, I'm a dud if I'm in charge. I'm a fail. We become a member of Christ's body when we lay down, being in charge of our own life, because we know we've stuffed it up so royally. I'm, I can't do it on my own. And if Paul went through all of this stuff, why should we pretend to be exempt from it, or to be any different? Why should we have to come to church to this other bunch of sinners and pretend that we got it all sorted out? Let me tell you what happens next. If you don't know, Paul arrives. It says, and "Everyone reached land safely." Sounds like a happy ending, doesn't it? The land they reached was the island of Malta. It's raining. The people are very nice. They light a fire. Paul is promptly bitten by a deadly venomous snake. And he he doesn't die. And then they start calling him a god. Also, he wouldn't like that. They stay on the island for the three months, and then they get back on the boat after all this trauma. He gets back on the boat. They sail around to Italy. And then he walks for weeks to get to Rome, uh, where he sees Caesar and is promptly put on house arrest again for about another three years in Rome. And then he's released about 63 AD. And in the middle of 64 AD, July 19th, Rome burns for 10 days and everyone blames Nero like crazy Nero did it. So he blames the Christians. And that begins, you know, what you might have heard of the, the um, wholesale persecution of Christians where they fed them to the lions and Pulled wax on them and burnt them at parties as candles the Roman candles and things and it is under that regime that Paul is put back into prison but this time it's not under house arrest with a nice guy called Julius it's a dungeon a cold dungeon and nobody even knew where he was his other disciples and friends had to look for him they didn't know where he was and he's there for about a year and then after that he's decapitated <laughs> Where's the happy ending, Paul? (laughs) So if Paul, who surely was the best Christian who's ever been, who surely did everything that Jesus wanted, he said, I'm pouring out my life like a drink for everyone else. So just pouring it out that people would know Jesus. If Paul wasn't exempt from any of that stuff, why should we pretend that we are? nobody wants you to come here or to be part of any church and that you have to put on a mask and pretend that everything's cool and you've got it all sorted and you're speaking words of faith because you're so faithful but really at home you're crying and you're, you're, your life's falling to tatters that is the lie of the devil what Jesus says is come as you are be part of the body when you're hurting we hurt with you and when you're healed we are rejoicing with you as well just be authentic come as you are And when we come, we encourage each other. You're so needed. I know some people don't go to church every day and you might have a good time in your life and you're thinking, yeah, everything's swimmingly. I don't really need to go, but we need you. We need you to come next week. We need you to come. If you're part of a life group that you come to that. You might be going well, but the Bible says that we are blessed to be a blessing. When we're going well, that's our chance to hold someone else's arms up. And then when you're hurting, they'll be there and they'll hold your arms up. That's how the body works. That's how the church works. We will encourage each other. Paul says, I urge you to eat this food. I urge you to be part of this community. You won't survive without it. They had a mature faith. They did not blame God. They understood an eternal perspective. Paul did not let those sailors out of his sight. He knew that it wasn't a turn against faith to need professional help. And he's he's like, in the dark, that's not the time to isolate yourself. That is the time to be together in communion. So why is this scripture, why is this even in the Bible? Sure, it's an exciting message. It's an exciting event. There are so many details about where they went and the types of winds and the dates and the people that it's completely reliable historical thing that happened that Luke and Paul and these other guys actually had the shipwreck. But why is it in the Bible? It's in the Bible because the Holy Spirit wants to show us something about what is occurring in the world in a supernatural reality because the boat represents the world. You've got the military, you've got the commerce, you've got the government, you've got um, everyone, every nation like uh, represented in that boat, agriculture. And it's shown for all of their power, all of their so-called power, they have no power against the storm. They just keep getting swept out and swept out to sea and they, they have no power to stop it. In the same way, That the world has no power in itself to stop evil, to stop this destruction that's happening. The boat just keeps getting later and later and later in the year and waylaid. And the same thing will happen to the world as well. Time just gets later and we have no power to really stop evil at its root. And then they go for the lifeboat just as so many people try for a spiritual lifeboat a spiritual backup they put their hope into all sorts of crazy spiritual ideas and they try for this safe haven and that safe haven and this safe haven and they found a safe haven to winter it out but it didn't satisfy them just as so many people go from this thing to that thing to this thing always looking for something to base their lives on but none of it really satisfies or none of it is really safe enough And so this picture that we have is that the world is being swept out without power to change it and the only way they can be saved is to listen to the message of Paul which is the message of Jesus. And we as individuals and as the church, as followers of Jesus, are to take that place of Paul. So wherever we find ourselves that we are the voice going, even if you put yourself in this situation, Jesus wants to help you. Even if the storm was of none of your own doing, Jesus wants to help you. All 276 people were saved. Jesus wants for every single person to be saved. And there is no other way except for Jesus. Follow me as I follow Christ, Paul said. Imitate me as I follow Jesus Christ. So let's just pray that we are able to take what happened to Paul that day and start to imitate him in these areas of our life. We'll just pray now and let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, we pray that we would have a clarity of understanding about what you're doing in the world and what you're doing in our lives. And even if we find ourselves right now in the middle of a storm, even if we find ourselves almost without hope, even if we find ourselves in a place that seems really dark or chaotic right now, let our eyes be fixed on you, that you didn't cause these things to happen. You're not to blame for these things to happen. You're the one who will save us. You're the one who wants to help us. You're the one who brings that message this morning. It doesn't matter if those other things are lost. If you are found. I pray for every believer here today, Jesus, that we would take on board that tenacity that Paul had, that even if the ship has been wrecked around us, if our health is going, if our finances are, are not working out, if our plans turn to tatters that we would have that tenacity that Paul did, that I will keep following you, Jesus, and that I will keep encouraging those around me, that I will keep on being part of your body, that I won't allow myself to be isolated, that I will be in communion with each other. And right now, if you have never accepted that you need a saviour I'm going to let you just uh, just with every eye closed and every head bowed right now maybe you're not even ready to say Jesus I want you in my life maybe you're just starting to think about what is this God why are these people pressing into him What, what does it mean to have faith can I have that maybe you're only just starting to question or maybe you're desperate right now for Jesus to save you. The Bible says we can just speak to God as we speak to our friends. So in your heart right now I'm going to give you the opportunity to say Jesus come into my life. I have been in charge of my own life. I have done things wrong. I am living those consequences will you save me no matter what else is lost I want that peace I want to feel like I'm standing on that firm foundation will you save me Amen thank you so much church I really want to encourage you to go home and read the rest of that Acts 27 the first part which I skipped is just frantic going shore to shore and then throughout that whole time, pity we didn't have the flashing lights and stuff the smoke, the drama maybe next time you're on a boat you want to take it with you and read it out there and learn from Paul, he didn't like that Learn from Paul how to follow Jesus. No matter what seems to be like a shipwreck in your life, keep our eternal perspective on what counts. Thank you. Amen.